why do you come here? You know, why, why do you come to a, a Sunday morning gathering? Why do I come here? <laughs> why, why do I preach? Why do we preach? Why do we have sermons? Why, why do we sing all these songs? Why do we sing these songs in particular? Why do we pray together like we do? And, and why, do we, why do we have a prophecy month? Why do we ask people to come up here and, and read scripture to you with the sense that God has put this scripture on your heart? Why do we often appeal to each other and ask each other, how are we doing in our quiet times? Are we reading the Bible? Are we seeking him together? Are we seeking him privately? And how, why do we feel bad or empty when we neglect it? In, in his books, Instruments in the Deemer's Hands, Paul David Tripp makes this fundamental, astounding, and duh, take it for granted statement about human beings. It, it's something that's so obvious, but we never hardly ever think about it. We were not meant to understand reality by ourselves. God created man with the inability to make sense of, to understand, to interpret, to rightly understand the world, the universe, reality by himself, by herself. We were made to depend on a truth outside ourselves. We were made that way. Every living thing that God created on earth in the six days of creation, dogs and cats and trees and foxes and cows, every animal that was built by their creator was made essentially self-dependent when it comes to truth. The truth that they needed to live and be who they were meant to be, they were downloaded <laughs> into that truth. What they needed to understand reality, to live out their purpose, was downloaded, so to speak, like an application into a hard drive. We call it instinct, right? You don't ask a tree why it's growing <laughs> leaves and dropping leaves in the fall. You don't ask a cow why it's eating the grass. A bird falls from the, the nest as a baby and immediately starts flapping its wings. It knows what to do. It knows it needs to work these muscles out to fly. Lion cubs begin wrestling from the earliest days to develop these instincts that are already there for hunting and conquering prey. Animals don't go to school <laughs> They don't read books. They're not taught wisdom by their parents. They don't need to interpret. They don't need to make sense of their world at all. It's all there from the beginning. We are not like that at all. And you can see this in the creation story. And again, it just, it just blows right by us. But, but when God creates man, he does something different than he did the whole time of creation. For the first time, he talks to the thing he made. He didn't talk to the beavers and the fish. <laughs> but when he made man in his image, male and female, the first thing he did was he spoke to them directly from his heart. They didn't have what they needed in themselves. He had to speak it into their heart, into their lives. As image bearers of God, meant to be in relationship with God, understanding and responding to God, we were made for something so much more than the animal world. We were made to know God. And the first and most important thing to know about God is that he is God and not we ourselves. And so he made us dependent from the very beginning. 
we have to depend on him. And we understand that. We think about it. He doesn't depend on us. We need him. We understand what these breaths every moment mean. If we stop to think, they mean we need oxygen. We understand what breakfast means. It means we need fuel. I don't think ducks think about that. He made us understand our limitations, our dependence, that we receive, we don't give. That he commands, we don't command. That he provides and protects and sustains, not the other way around. And this was in our design, so to speak, at the most fundamental part at the very beginning. We need God. And most of all, we need his truth. We were created as truth beings, as interpretive beings, as meaning makers. And fundamentally, we spend all day long trying to think, (laughs) trying to think through life, understand life, interpret life. So that we act out of understanding. We act out of what we think. And from the very beginning, God made it so that truth was not in us inherently. It was something that we had to depend on him for. And it's always been that way. It's always been that way. We need God to make sense of reality for us. We don't have it inherently. We need him to be our source for truth. We have been made to depend on and rely on and rest in and trust in the God who is truth. Coming back to my original questions, why do we preach? Why do we sing? Why do we sing these words? Why do we ask each other how we're doing in our quiet time? Because we need truth. We need truth. It's the only fuel, the fundamental fuel of our hearts. The fundamental need for you and I, for our eternal soul, is not food and clothing, but truth. Truth about God. The God who gives light to everything else in our lives when we have the truth about him. When we have the truth about God, it gives light to who we are. Our relationships, our marriages, our jobs, our decisions. They all become clearer and clearer as we see the light of the truth of who God is. We were made to run on truth. And so at the center of what we do as Christians, what we do as a church, what we do in our mission statement is this idea of truth. We're a church seeking to make disciples who know God deeply. Know the truth about God. Know him. It's not simply intellectual, but it's not, it's not less than truth. It's not just cold truth, but it's not, that's not less than It's built on that. And we share him with each other. We share him with others. I don't take Jesus, the baby Jesus, and hand them to Hannah and say, here, have some Jesus. I share the truth about his heart, who he is with her. That's how we live. That's how we grow. That's the fundamental call of us as believers. Is to know and share the truth about God with each other and with the lost. That's what our mission statement really is. To know God deeply. To know who he is. Starting with what he says about himself, but also real intimacy experience that comes from that and to share him with other people. At the center of the church, undergirding the church, protecting the church, preserving the church is truth. We call it the Bible. 
spirit-breathed truth revealed from God concerning himself and our response to him. We believe the Holy Spirit of God wrote a book. He used people, but he wrote it. This is the words of the Holy Spirit to his church. Authoritative. That's what we believe. That is the truth that we need, like air that we need, to be able to engage every other truth (laughs) that surrounds it. So for the rest of this morning's message, I'd like to unpack a, a little passage from Ephesians 4 that brings this idea that the church, that each of us runs on, grows on the fuel of God's truth uh, to the forefront. That, that hopefully, you know, because I'm, I'm contending that the Bible is what we need, you'll, you'll be able to see this in the Bible this morning. That's what I'm hoping. So <clears throat> I'm going to walk through Ephesians 4, 11 through 8, 17, I believe. For the sake of time, I'm not going to go through the whole text at once. I'm going to go through bit by bit. We'll talk a little bit about it. Then we'll try to walk away with some implications for our lives. Would you guys pray with me for a second as we, we get into God's word? Lord, we need you. As we'll talk about in a morning, in, in, in a moment, we, we, we need your truth. But we need your truth because, Lord, it's a means to you. So, We need your spirit, the spirit of truth, to act on what we're going to hear, what we're going to see, to make it food for our hearts, to make it water for our souls, to make it life for our dry bones. Lord, would you make your truth speak to those parts of us this morning that particularly need to hear it, to fix and put back into place what's broken or what's weak. Would you, God, please... Shine your truth through your truth, through your word on our hearts. Make our hearts healthier. See you better, love you more, and want to serve you more faithfully. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Starting in Ephesians 4, verse 11. I'll read the first three verses. And it should be, Logan, right there. Can you pull it up? Okay. For the record, again, this is my fault. <laughs> I, I Somehow I, I graded slides and I didn't enter them last night. And I actually got six plus hours of sleep. So thanks, David. <laughs> I appreciate it. That's true. At least you think so, David. <laughs> Everybody else is all mad at me. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So l- l- let's move on. So Ephesians 4, that was a joke, verses 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'm going to read that one more time. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, when he ascended, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
Paul is explaining here in Ephesians 4 gifts that God gives to the church to provide for her life. And he starts with these gifts that he puts in people. These are not the only gifts that God gives. You won't find gifts of miracles, gifts of tongues, gifts of healing. Those are real gifts. But, but they are leading gifts he gives to the church. They are foundational. They are, I would say they are the foundational gifts that he gives to the church. They don't make the people with these particular calls, roles, or gifts more important or more loved by God than those without them. What they do is explain what is foundational for the life of the church. The people who have a gift to pastor, if, Lord willing, I have that gift, are not more important or more loved by God than someone who does not have that particular gift. But, but what Paul is doing is he's explaining here what is fundamental and foundational for the life of the church. And he's not singling out people. He's singling out the word of God. The truth of God. He's singling out what we just talked about. Truth of God as the fuel, protector, provider, sustainer of the church. And here's why I say that. Listen to what Paul says. He gave apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Now, now listen, people debate over whether apostles still exist or capital A apostles, little a apostles. And if you don't know about that debate, don't worry about it today. Prophets are they, are they Old Testament prophets? Or are they, I mean, we can talk about that, but we're not, we're not getting into that today. Uh, prophets, are they Old Testament prophets or later prophets in the early church? Is, it, is he talking about what Buzz does here at the microphone and Holly does? Or is he talking about uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah? Or is he talking about both evangelists? Are they evangelists who bring the good news to you or bring the good news to the lost? There are, there are good debates. And, and in another message, we can unpack some of these things because we definitely have some room to, to think differently, but we, we have some things we, we kind of hold on to. For instance, we believe the apostles here are the apostles. And we'll talk about that in a second, about why we believe that. But, but what I don't want to do is to get into all that and miss what is so obvious and so crucial and so clearly common to all of these roles. Apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, evangelists. And what's common and crucial and foundational to all these roles is the same thing. Truth. Truth from God. These roles... Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, they are word ministries. This is not deacons. And deacons are important. Deacons are sourced out of word ministry. The deacon serves because the truth of God motivates his heart to serve. So what God starts with is what he starts with in the beginning, what's been there for eternity, which was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. God's word is the fuel of the church. And that's why the crucial roles Paul lists here have one thing in common. They are truth givers. They are truth givers. The apostles are the ones sent to proclaim the authoritative message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. They were his witnesses. He says, you are my witnesses. You've been with me from the beginning. And except for Paul, who Paul authenticated his apostleship on the fact that he himself had seen Jesus Christ directly and received his ministry, not through the gifting that comes out across the church age, but directly from the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to him in his resurrection himself. The prophets speak God's word to God's people. That's what they do. They speak God's word. The apostles go into the world proclaiming the gospel message. The prophets go to God's people. And in ways specifically relevant to the circumstances of those people, they speak God's truth. 
the evangelist. He shares God's message with the lost who are going to hell without God. He brings God's truth to their lives to save them. The pastor teacher, obviously, he teaches God's truth to his people and watch God's people and watches over their lives so that that truth takes root and bears fruit in their lives. So you see this. It's right there before us. It's duh, that, that we were made because we need truth. And when God built the truth, the church, he founded upon the revelation of the truth. Remember when, when Peter confessed Christ, Jesus says right there, my church has started. My father has revealed the truth to you, Peter. And on that, I will build my church on the revelation of the truth. And as these apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers do this, God's people are equipped, Paul says, to serve God and each other with the truth they've received from those people. They go and serve other people. And often that truth comes out in more than counsel and care to each other. It may come in acts of service that that truth has motivated them to give themselves to in love. But it's not less than truth. See, I, I don't preach just so you guys go home and stay away from each other. I, I, my hope is that I preach into your lives and you preach into each other's lives from that preaching or from whoever, whatever good preacher you get it from. And many t- today, certainly we can hear John Piper and Francis Chan and all these other people. You know, I'm sure that they're out there thinking in their, in their best moments. I hope that my words don't mean that, that, that who I am doesn't mean much. I hope that God puts stuff in the hearts of the listeners so they give it to other people. And you become preachers and pastors of each other, so to speak. So we, we see this truth thing continues through this passage. Through the ministry of truth proclaimed and truth lived out. The next verse, verse 13. So that we all, the reason for all this truth thing is that we would all attain to the unity of the faith. The unity that comes from believing the same things about the same God. And the knowledge of the Son of God, that knowledge that had been hidden for ages, that knowledge that we suppressed, God is releasing again upon the world to create again. And these are truth words. Faith is a truth word. The knowledge of the Son of God is a truth word. And, and that's what builds this church. That's what sustains this church. That's what heals this church. That's what preserves this church. So the ups and downs is the truth, particularly centrally the truth about his son. What he has done for us in his death and his resurrection and his indwelling spirit. Who he is for us right now through his Holy Spirit that lives inside us so that we can know him and love him and serve him today. Empowered by that Holy Spirit with the gifts and power that he gives. What Jesus will do for us through his glorious return. So we can set our hope in all kinds of travails and troubles and death all around us. We can say, oh, he is coming back. He will speak to those dry bones. And they will be raised. And everything else that happens in this life, that's so much of it's wonderful. Children and marriage and friendships and so much that's awful. Cancer and divorce and persecution. It pales in significance to that day when he will speak to these dry bones and they will rise again forever. That's the truth that we need to keep coming back to. It's this life-giving truth about Jesus that is our fuel. We mature towards the fullness of Jesus himself as we are fed by his truth. Verse 14, as a result of all this true thing, Paul says, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrines. That's different truth. Suppose it's not real truth. It's truth, po- fake, fake truth posing as real truth. 
different every winds of doctrine by the trickery of men by the craftiness and deceitful scheming paul says there is a picture here of 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 people scheming with fraudulent truth with with lies about who god is that slips under the door of our lives and either quickly or slowly starts to take our hearts away from god and paul is saying as we're fed by the truth we're protected from that and and especially when we're immature in christ and we're tossed to and fro we don't this way that way every different wind of teaching children paul paints this picture of children tossed here and there by waves little kids are immature they're vulnerable they're weak in their minds they're tossed here and there so much of my early life as a believer was being knocked around by different teachings like what what about this what about this oh man what about this and and it still happens to me when i'm knocked around today it's almost invariably because i've lost sight of who jesus is for me but especially early on, there was a more fundamental sense of like, well, how do I know Jesus who said he was? What about Muhammad? What about Buddha? What about these guys? Or, or, man, the Holy Spirit lives in me, so maybe I can never sin. You know, there'd be some people, you have the power to never ever sin again. Okay, uh, wait, you know. Quiet times, you've got to make sure your quiet times are central in your life. It's all about spiritual disciplines. It's all about spir- I mean, good truth can become, if it's the only truth you're looking at, it can become way imbalanced in your life, right? If it's all about spiritual disciplines, all about your performance, all about making sure you're having your quiet times and you're evangelizing to your neighbors and giving your money, all, all that stuff, you know, those are all good things. And slowly, if they become your central truth that you live on, God becomes a taskmaster and you become overloaded or you become proud. And then you need to realize, again, that we're justified by faith through grace, not by what we do, but through Christ alone. And then you love that truth and you sit on that truth and you rejoice in that truth. But if that's the only truth you look at after a while... <laughs> you might be led into licentiousness and laziness and you know you need to remember that he saved us to live godly lives he saved us freely as a gift in order to become lovers of people and lovers of him but paul says as we keep growing in the truth we become more and more mature and these ways which knock us around and these deceitful schemings these tricky false teachers out there with the, the health and wealth gospel or the religion of indulgence or the religion based on this weird warp self-denial, you know, forbidding people to marry or eat certain foods. It's so interesting that in, in I think it's 1 Timothy 4, Paul says that in later times, doctrines will be taught by, by demons, he says. In later times, he says, doctrines, truths, supposed truths, will be taught by demons, forbidding men to marry and teaching them to abstain from certain foods. See, there's something about that self-denial ethos that sounds right because there's a lot of self-denial involved in being a Christian and following Jesus. But then Satan gets involved in it and he starts doing some tricky stuff. You can't get married if you want to follow Jesus. You can't eat these foods if you want to follow Jesus. And I I would say it here that I think, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I I think one of the tragic things that's happened in the Catholic Church, and I get a lot of really good things out of the Catholic Church as a kid growing up, is they believed a really bad lie that their leaders can't get married. And has done all kinds of damage to them. But it's not as if you can't find religious leaders of every sort being wooed away to, to abuse people and hurt people. So, point is, we need the truth. Someone said once, the best way to understand counterfeit money is to really, really understand what the real thing looks like. Like, 
once you get what the coin looks like, once you understand what a dollar bill looks like, you understand the intricacies and the this little sewn paths of little green shades, you are in good shape, better and better, as you understand what that dollar looks like, to understand when a counterfeit piece comes up to you, you know? You don't have to figure out, what are the different kinds of counterfeit coins out there? You just need to know what the right coin is, and then it doesn't matter what other coin comes to you, you'll be able to tell the difference. And that's what it means to mature in Christ. That's what it means to grow in Christ. You don't get to all this right away. It takes it takes. I mean, it, it, it still takes time for me. I've been a Christian for 26, and I've gone to 26 years. I've been to all kinds of schools and seminaries. And, you know, I, I still, every day, I, I need to take another bath in the truth of God. But Paul says here in verse 15, listen to what he says. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we, all of us, are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Okay, so he says, speaking the truth and love to each other, teaching each other, pastoring each other, counseling each other, caring for each other. We are to grow up. We grow up into all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. All aspects. Christ the gentle. Christ the loving. Christ the pure. Christ the righteous. Christ the disciplined. Christ the generous. Christ the warm. We, we grow up into all these different facets of Jesus' beautiful personhood. The comforter. The challenger. The exhorter, the encourager, the consoler, the warner. We grow up into all those different aspects of Jesus as we keep feeding on his truth, as we keep seeing him through his scriptures. And Paul says, this is beautiful. Listen to what he says. He then says, once that starts happening, Christ, this is verse 16, Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, Christ causes the growth of the body for the building itself up of love. Paul has just described a symbiotic circle of us pushing into Jesus, and as we do that, he pushes it into us. As of, growing us, of, of us growing in the truth of Jesus, and as we do that, he grows us into his truth even more. Paul says, when the truth about Jesus and all the implications of the truth about Jesus for our lives are being spoken, taught, counseled, used to comfort and correct and encourage and exhort by each of us towards one another, not just pastors anymore. He's saying, when we all speak the truth in love, when we all do that, we grow more and more into Jesus. He says it. He says it right here. This is beautiful. He says, we, we, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. This is beautiful. I wish I had the slide so I could make you pause and see these, these words. But that is, that is verse 15 and 16. So, so follow this with me. We, of course, look more and more like Jesus as we grow in, in, in the knowledge of him and in emulating him. But the language here is sweeter. We are not simply looking more and more like Jesus. Paul says we are growing into him. We are... It's approximate description. We are getting nestled closer and deeper into his heart. We're in him, but we're getting even further into the center of who he is, into his very, the very core of his heart, into his deepest, deepest affections, into his, his, his love and, and into him, you know, unified more and more with him. And as we do this, he in turn holds us together. He, in turn, as we're pushing into him through pushing into each other, he is building us together. He's causing us to grow together so that we, in turn, can keep building each other up in love. I hope you guys see this. And it all flows down from this fountain of 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, the truth about God that we have in this word. So some implications this morning. I'm trying to go through this as quick as I can. First, God's truth is his word. God's truth is his word, especially centered on Jesus Christ. When we, I or Paul, speak of the truth this morning, particularly, we're talking about that which speaks of Jesus and all he is and all he has done. And this truth has many applications for our lives. It has many implications for our lives. But the truth itself is objective. The truth we're starting with here is authoritative. It's not one truth that's okay for you and one truth that's okay for me. It's the truth of Jesus Christ revealed by God in his holy scriptures. The holy scriptures that the scriptures themselves says were written by not merely men and women, but by the Holy Spirit. This is the book the Holy Spirit wrote. When he filled people upon Christ's ascension into heaven at the very foundation of the church, when the Holy Spirit came into people's lives in a way he had never come before, he wrote a book through them. And this is his book. Every word in here is written by the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the Holy Spirit and the word of God. It's his book. He's the author. And Jesus explains in John's gospel that he chose specific people to write this book. And he didn't choose other people to write this book. Jesus says that he chose the apostles as unique witnesses. In the, in the upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, Jesus says, I chose you as my witnesses who have been with me from the beginning to be the proclaimers of this message And those men were uniquely chosen for that role because they had been present with Jesus. He said in John 17, in the prayer to the God, in the prayer to God, he says this. He prays that all other believers would believe because of their witness. Because of their witness. And so this is why we preach from the witness of those people. You don't believe in Jesus because of what I say about him. You believe in Jesus because Jesus made himself directly known and experienced by John and Matthew and Paul, who wrote authoritative Holy Scripture that no pastor at the pulpit or member at the prophecy mic ever wrote. And that's why as a church we're committed to the Bible. That's why we're committed to expositional preaching. We're not some weird... I shouldn't have said weird. Oh, we're... We're not just into the Bible because it just feels conservative and it feels traditional and it feels right. And it's been around for a long time. The Koran's been around for a long time. We, we preach the Bible because Jesus Christ has revealed himself in it to us. And he said in it, these are the people who are going to be my witnesses, unique witnesses, unique apostles. That is why we're committed to expositional, ex- expositional preaching. That's why we, we, we seek to explain God's word, not the word sourced in a preacher. Not simply my good ideas or bad ideas or whatever. I, I'm hoping that I'm unpacking God's truth that was given to these unique witnesses. It's called historically, it's called the apostolic message. Jude tells us this. Jude says that this is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. This is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Hebrews tells us that in the last days, there's not more days coming in the context of this Hebrews. He says in the final days, God has spoken through his son. That son, Hebrews 1 tells us, who is the exact representation of God's nature, has spoken. 
there are not new days to come before Jesus returns in which God will speak a new kind of faith or a new kind of revelation. No, anything he speaks today is built on this unique revelation and is evaluated by this unique revelation and is confirmed and affirmed by this unique revelation. And God does still speak today, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But he's not going to make a new revelation for a new faith. This is it. This is, this is Jesus. Jesus is the one. He's the exact rep- representation of God. Second point, God's truth about Jesus is the lifeblood of the church. God's truth about Jesus is the lifeblood of the church, of our church, of every church. What do you look for in a church? What do you look for in a church? A building? I mean, we've, we've had people who, who really like our building now. They, they didn't like our building in Tuscarora. They did like our building in Tuscarora. That's okay. I, I care about some level of buildings, right? It's nice to be nice. A great band. Some people look at it, man, that worship is awesome. Just really, just, I just love the music so much. No problem. I, I hate bad music. <laughs> if I'm in a church with bad music, I'm going to eventually talk to somebody about that. I mean, maybe you're in that church now and you haven't talked to me about it, but you want to. But it's going to be hard, right? Great coffee, good coffee. They're so nice. We get coffee before and after. Maybe we can start a whole new church era based on Buzz's coffee. We'll be the church of great coffee. Everybody will put signs all on Frederick. If you want free coffee, come to our church. Parking. I can't go to this church. Parking's a mess. I really would love to go there. I love so many things about it, but ah, it's too early. I meet too early. A lot of young and good-looking people, right? When I was younger in a singles ministry, I mean, it was just like you felt like if you had more and more and more young people, you know, and they were, they were handsome and beautiful, like, man, you could just feel the sense of, like, momentum that can come from that kind of thing. God creates handsome and beautiful people. He's not against them inherently, right? A lot of mature, older-looking people. You could, you could have people who be at a, at a church where there's just a lot of young people, but there's no older people, and they can say, where's the maturity? Where's the experience? I'm not going to stay here. I want to find some old people to help me learn how to be smart and wise. <laughs> right, David. Maybe you come for an ethnically diverse church. I come in there, and everybody's white, and the music's white, and the accents are white. You know, man, where's the unity of the gospel? It's a good question. It's fair to ask the question. The youth, maybe you want the youth and energy of a new plant. Some people just love, I want to be part of that new, fresh thing. Other people want the stability of a church that's been established for decades. Why do you go to a church that you go to? Well, I can tell you what you should go to a church for first and foremost. It's not the only thing, but it's the biggest thing. You don't need only this, but you need this. You don't need less than it. We want first and foremost to find in a church what makes everything else worth bearing through (laughs) you want to go to a church where everything else that's going to be wrong in that church is worth bearing through everything else that's right in that church is sourced in the same thing the word of god without the word of god everything else that's great about that church is a waste with the word of god everything else that's hard about that church is very possibly bearable faithfulness to the word of god we want the church first and foremost to be a platform for the truth of god's word to one another and to the lost that's what we want we want the church which is called in the scriptures the pillar of truth to be a platform to be a stage to be a mechanism for the truth of god's word to get into ourselves and for us to be exhorted to get that word into each other and into the lost 
as we think about the future of our church on the 20th, for instance, first and foremost should be rebuilding this church as much as possible from the principles and the priorities of the word of God. We could do many things. There's a lot of things we can think about doing. We have, we have some nice savings. We have amazing resources in you people. I loved what the El Shaddai people said about you guys, that you're, you're people who serve from the heart. I know that firsthand from knowing you people. You guys who have stuck through a lot of stuff. We have some of the most tenderest, kindest, sweetest, most strong, enduring people. We have some folks who have struggled through much and are so used to struggle that they know how to struggle through stuff implicitly even if they wouldn't put it that way and they stay so we could do a lot with all that but we want to keep the truth about jesus to one another and to the lost the central part of our mission dorcas is wonderful but it's not simply about clothes those clothes are all going to burn up it's about a platform through clothing to share the truth about jesus so you're there praying for people buzz is there asking people how i can pray for them is helping people find clues so she can tell them about jesus care group is not simply a time to hang out or have nachos it's a place where god's truth is to be brought to bear on your wounds and your hopes and your fears personally third god's truth about jesus is fuel for the engine of our hearts We did a whole message on this, on personally knowing God, so I don't want to go spend too much longer on this. The truth of God, being centered on the truth of God, does not mean we don't experience God through his Holy Spirit now. It's just the opposite. The words that Jesus spoke call us, command us, send us to experience him. We're meant to, his words were meant to produce in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, experiences of him that we can't see with our eyes. Ways to touch him that we can't feel with our hands. Our emotions, our infections, our affections. He, he, the Holy Spirit takes this truth and he makes it real to our lives again. God's truth tells us to seek his spirit so that we might experience love and joy and peace and miracles and healing and prophetic words that are resonant and, and, and congruent and are in keeping with the truths of god's word so you come up in prayer time with images that god gives you a vision of something i mean i've, I've had images that the holy spirit's given me about a person's life well how do i know what to do with that i don't always i'm not able to understand or interpret that one thing i do know is that if anyone tries to interpret that image in a way that violates god's truth we can forget it if anyone brings up an interpretation that seems right in line with god's truth it might be that might be what god is trying to say but the, this word again and again itself says that we're to experience Jesus Christ in our lives right now. So the word of God is the fuel for that experience. And it's the protection for that experience. It boundaries and guides and drives that experience. The right truth makes our car run. The wrong truth wrecks the engine. You know, it, it happens to me throughout the week. I've been excited about I won't go into too far into it, but, you know, I've been following a particular uh, book. I've been reading it, been watching the pastor preach, and it's been really exciting and really fueling. And I realized over time I, I, I was slipping away from gospel hope because this guy was focused on sanctification exclusively, commitment exclusively. 
And it wasn't like he didn't believe in grace. It just wasn't, he, it wasn't on his heart a lot. And so I had to come back to Galatians. I had to come back to God's grace to get the fuel I needed because I was losing sight of the truth of Jesus. We, the right truth keeps our engines running well. The wrong truth or the right truth in, two, in the wrong measure, it can really disturb our engine. And so the engines of our heart need refueling. Not because the truth gets old or useless, but because our hearts need fresh supplies as we navigate this fallen world. We forget the truth. We drift from the truth. We believe lies contrary to the truth. We get pulled away. We get weary. We doubt. We need fresh supplies of the truth. So, you know, what are you doing to get regular supplies of God through his heart? Well, you're coming here. Hopefully you're getting served in some way through the songs, through teaching, through the prophecy mic. What are you doing through the week? Always be asking that question. Are you, are you tapped into fresh supplies of God's truth through the week to keep you going? And, and more important, not more importantly, but something we don't talk about as much. Do you know that you're to be a means of fueling other people in this church with God's truth? Like that's part of your call is to not just be getting fed yourself. But being part of this church means you're committed to help other people in this church get fueled and refueled and get clean. Are you in a care group? Are you seeking, if you're not in a care group, you're willing to explore it. You don't have to, you know, we're, we're not trying to make this a must-do thing. But, but are you looking for opportunities to fellowship with each other? If you're not in a care group, are you, are you seeking out folks to care for and get to know and pour into? And then, are you fueled up with truth so that the people who don't have any truth at all of Jesus, who are truly lost, that we're tenderized enough, we're sensitized enough to him and his truth that we're, we're more ready to share. There have been weeks where I've been ready to share about Jesus. I'll tell you what, last week was not one of those weeks. I had a conflict with a family member, and three days it just knocked me out, experiencing condemnation, experiencing feelings of rottenness and hopelessness. I just needed to come back to the truth of who Jesus is. Because I need, to, I need to make myself ready to share him with other people. I need to be ready to give that hope and answer. But if that truth's not fueling my heart, I'm not going to be ready to do that. Um, I am going to try to shorten this up a lot right now. <laughs> um, let's see what the last thing is. This is the last thing I just want to say. This truth I've been talking about, about God's truth in this word. God's word says that this truth is so much connected with who he is that it is who he is. That, that God's word is not just something God says, it's who he is. That God's word is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John says the word was God. And the implication to this is, is, is there's a lot, but one of the things I really want to hit here, God doesn't give you his truth simply for yourself. He gives you his truth in the context of a relationship with him. You, you can't leverage truth for selfish gain. You know, Paul says, if I had faith to move mountains, but I don't have love for God or people, I'm nothing. Like, oh man, if I could just believe, I could make that miracle happen. Now, there are times where you do need to have more faith for God's power to do something. But if it's all centered on <laughs> that thing you want to have happen, and it's not centered on your relationship with your father and your love for him. You've got to watch out for that. The person who is truth is the one who decides whether his truth will be effective in our lives. See, the Pharisees, they knew truth up the wazoo. Please forgive me if that's vulgarity to you guys. 
I've forgotten with my kids, which is permissible or not. But they, they studied the scriptures diligently. And Jesus says, but you haven't come to me. They knew, all, they knew Bible better than any of us. And Jesus says, you've missed me completely. They were treating the truth as something to acquire for themselves. They were treating the truth as something for them to boost themselves up, not, not to serve their relationship with God, not to get to know him better and to love him more. Truth doesn't simply get received by us like a documentary about nature or instructions on a Blu-ray player. When the, when the Lord is really working his truth in you, he, he changes you. He affects you. He, he transforms you because truth is a person. And you can't get truly close to his truth without getting truly close to Jesus. God doesn't use his truth primarily to make you a moral person in love with ethical living. <laughs> he uses his truth to make you more in love with him. You can't separate God's truth from a relationship with him. This is why our ingestion of truth should always be looked at, and our ingestion of the Bible, it should always be looked at as not a box to check off, but as a means to getting closer to him. We have our quiet times because we want to meet with Jesus. We pray to God because we want to get closer to Jesus. We memorize scripture because we want to get closer to Jesus, not simply because we want to live right. And, and this is why, especially in our ingestion of truth, the gospel is so important. Because there we learn again and again of how despite ourselves, despite our failures, our weaknesses, we're accepted, we're loved, we're forgiven. We stand blameless in him. And that's why I ask you all for prayer for Sunday gatherings because I, I, need to, I need to see that gospel myself. That's why I ask you guys to pray for each other that when we get here, we'd be means of bringing that truth to each other. We can sing and prophesy and preach, but if Jesus doesn't move, if he doesn't use it to draw us to him, it's a failure. But thank God. <laughs> he gave us his truth because he does want to move through it. He does want to work through it. He does want to use it. So, Final applications, pray your Bible that God would use it to draw you to Jesus. Use the scriptures to get to know God better, not to feel better about yourself. Plead for God to make it fuel for you, to love him more, to love people more, to serve him better. When you do read the Bible, ask him to make it real food for love. Recognize that if your intake of truth is not leading to a deeper love for Jesus or a love for others. Something's wrong in that. Our church is to be built on the truth. Our church is protected, sustained, and preserved by the truth. We're committed to the truth. Not because we're a great Bible church and that church is super liberal and they don't care about, you know, they don't care about the dignity of marriage and stuff. I, I mean, that's, losing the truth does that to you. It breaks churches. It warps churches. But we're not here to boast in ourselves. We want the truth to be our, our means to love God and love people. And, and so we're going to keep, by God's grace, I know that David and Mike, and I know that all of you guys but we're, are, are the same way. We're committed to this word, not because we're better than other churches or because we're conservative Bible people. We're committed to this word because it's our life, because it's our lifeblood, because it's our salvation, and because our God has given this treasure that's beyond anything in this world to us to hold on to so everything we do we want to we want to build on this truth amen amen i'm i'm going to let you guys go because it is super late i love you all thank god for you
let me pray for you and, and then uh, we pray a blessing for you and then we'll, we'll get our kids. Lord God, I just thank you for this morning. I pray for our church that we would be a platform for your truth, that we would hear your truth and speak it to one another and speak it to the lost. Lord God, thank you for this book, this revelation of yourself. Thank you, God, for showing us who Jesus is, not just in words written on ink and paper, but taking those words and through the Holy Spirit, telling us that they're real, that he's real, that they're true. Protect us in that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.